please turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. For our preaching before we administer the sacrament. Mark chapter 8. In a moment we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 21. Mark chapter 8 verses 1 to 21. And we're going to be looking at this text under this following title, God Satisfies His People. God Satisfies His People. And we began a new communion season last Friday evening. And the theme, as we said that Friday evening, was heavenly food. Heavenly food. At a pre-communion, we saw how God feeds His people. God feeds his people. He rains showers of heavenly food upon us, even though we do not deserve it. He shows us tokens or expressions of his love. And sometimes in the physical world, in the world we see around us, he shows us pictures of how we depend on him. We must know as Christians as well, the most important food is not our physical food, is it? It's the spiritual food. It's the most important food of all. That we see the importance of this food. My girls and I, we, we like sometimes going to farms. And us as an entire family, we love going to see um, the calves, the cows, and the sheep. And the wonderful thing about when we go there, we, have, we go away with a greater appreciation for the hard work that it takes for the food we have on our table. To see the hard work, all that hard work, when we get the milk on our table, the meat on our table, and you know how much hard work goes into it. Now, the more hard work we see that goes into that food, the milk, the meat, and whatever else it is. We're more thankful, aren't we, to God? We're more thankful to the farmer who puts in all that hard work, who looks after the animals. And those who are here, parents, isn't it good to show your children how much hard work goes into all that food they see on their table every single day. Because without that, will they appreciate it? No. A lot of hard work goes into putting food on the table. And it's good to show the next generation how much hard work they will have to do as well when they grow up. And maybe if we see from other countries where they don't have nearly as much food as we have, that we appreciate how much food we have. Are we thankful to the food God has given us each and every day? Yes, the physical food. Yes, the food he has put in our bellies this morning. But more than that, the special food he brings us in the word of God. The special food he sets before us in the Lord's Supper. Bread and the cup. Signs and seals of the body and blood of Christ and what did this food cost? It cost far more than our wages. It cost the death of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. 
He gives us food to his people. So now as we read in God's holy word, we're going to read about how Christ fed the 4,000. And may it teach us about how God gives us what we need. God gives us what we need physically. He gives us what we need spiritually. He fills us, and indeed, dear friends, as his people, he satisfies us. And that is the wonderful thing. Yes, in the world to come, but also here, both physically and spiritually, he gives us what we need. So let us read from Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. In those days... The multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them. And getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, I broke the seven for the 4,000. How many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. It must have been an incredible sight for the disciples to see Jesus performing this miracle. To see Jesus give 
to them what they needed miraculously at that time, in their time of need, in their time of hunger. Well, this event is extraordinary and was extraordinary, something only God himself could do. Christ gives us, his people, what we need today. Yes, physically. Yes, all the things that the world needs, the Lord gives us. And I I emphasize needs, not wants. But he also gives us spiritual food. Something more important than any of the bread we put in our stomachs, as important as that is. And what is that food? Jesus Christ himself. It is he who is set before us in the Lord's Supper. He is that food, and that is why only believers ought to come to the table this morning. Only those who feed on Christ on an ongoing basis throughout your life since you became a believer. Those who depend on him, not those who remain in unbelief like the Pharisees did, as we just read. Not those who follow the teachers of unbelief. The first point we're going to look at here from this text is hunger. Hunger, number one. How many come to hear Jesus? It says in verse one in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat. There was a great multitude. Uh, The people are fascinated by Jesus. And in, in a lot of ways, people are still fascinated by Jesus today. Many would say that they follow the teachings of Jesus until you get a little bit more specific about who he is. How many truly trust Jesus? Now even take the example here. There were multitudes that came around him. There were thousands. How many were there at the day of Pentecost? A far smaller number. They were there, they had this, you could say, a natural spiritual hunger, because why? They've been created in the image of God. All these multitudes have been created in the image of God, and you could say there's this God-shaped hole in their life. Why? Because God has placed eternity in each and every one of our hearts. It says in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time, Also he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of God does from the beginning to end. They come far and wide with this eternity in their hearts, seeking for it to be satisfied. And they have a natural spiritual hunger or a natural restlessness. Without God, man will always be restless. Also, as they have a natural, physical hunger. They're they're faint, they're weak, because they don't have food. In verses 1 to 3, and we talked about how those multitudes are very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses... They will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. To see the hunger, the the distances that they're willing to travel to hear Jesus speak, they would need food 
or else they would faint and they would not make it on their journey home. What about your hunger here this morning? Do you hunger and thirst for Christ? I don't mean, do you, have you missed your breakfast and you're, you're kind of struggling through and counting down the time to, to lunchtime. I mean your spiritual appetite. What's your spiritual appetite like on a daily basis? Do you hunger for the things of God or is, are the things of God there when it's convenient? Do you come to hear from God here this morning? Not to hear from me, but to hear from God. Friends, to come to the worship service is not to listen to a mere man. It's to listen to the voice of the Almighty God, the infinite God whose mercy fills all things. His glory fills both heaven and earth. Coming with a hunger for what Christ has fed you with, hunger for heavenly food. Far better than anything in this world. Far better even than what the Lord offered them there. But he's showing them, isn't he? That he is the one who satisfies the hunger. Now we mentioned earlier that God has set eternity on our hearts. We have a spiritual hunger. All of us are worshipping creatures. Every single one of us. Even the atheist you meet. He is a worshipping creature. We will all worship someone or something. Even in the countries where they have banned religion, you'll notice one thing. They start worshipping the leader of the country, treating him like a god. Unless God has changed our hearts, we will worship the wrong thing. And our affections will be towards the wrong things. But when Christ has changed our hearts, when the Holy Spirit has changed us, he opens our hearts. We see Christ as glorious, beautiful, radiant, and we wish for more of him and his and the hunger is quenched in him. See, you'll see around you people trying to fill that religious void, if you want to put that in their lives, and they they will usually fill it with they will fill it with idols if it's not with God. If we do not have this food from heaven. You see, friends, there's a war going on since the fall of Adam. There's no neutrality. Either we love and embrace Christ or we hate him. Either we embrace Christ and worship him or we will worship idols. Who are those who will eat This food and drink, this eternal food, this eternal drink set before us this morning in the bread and the cup. Who are those who should come? Those with an appetite for good things. It says, Jesus said this in Matthew 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For what? For righteousness. For they shall be filled. They shall be, what? Satisfied. If you are hungry, come to the table here this morning. If you hunger for more of Christ, you want to learn more at the feet of Christ, come to the table that your, your faith in God may be strengthened. 
Revelation 21, verse 6, it says this. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. If you hunger, you're also going to thirst for Christ. Thirsty for Christ, come to the table so he may quench your thirst. So number one, we looked at hunger. Hunger. Number two now, as we look at how God satisfies his people. Number two, home. Home. If you come to the table of the Lord here this morning, by faith, you have a taste of home. Your true home. Your lasting home. It says from verse 4 to verse 9 in Mark chapter 8. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves and gave thanks and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he set, he set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. What an incredible number. Thousands of them. Not just a handful, but thousands were fed there that day. There were seven loaves. And I think we might get confused with the seven loaves. Sometimes we think of a loaf about that big. Back then, these loaves were like these little small baps, as I heard a friend of mine describe them one time. But they were small. They were small. And a few small fish. I don't know if you've... Remember your, your school days and you, you go to school and you, you bring your lunch with you. But imagine if you go to school with your lunch. And you bring a sandwich, an apple, and some sweets. But you go to school and no one else has brought their lunch with them. Maybe in your school when you were growing up there was 200 people, 100 people. Maybe there was 20, maybe there was 50. But would your lunch have been enough to feed everyone there. Imagine that. You know, like hiding your food probably from everybody else who's hungry around you. Your small lunch, which is almost like what was here, would never be enough to feed all the people around you. What we have, our own food, is not enough for everyone. But everyone who comes to Jesus will have enough. Everyone who comes for food from him will be filled and be satisfied. And there's so much there. There's seven leftover baskets of fragments. There's more leftovers than there is even before. Jesus blesses this food. What's he teaching us? The food we have in this world will run out. The food we have in this world, we'll eat a meal and three hours later we're hungry again. But this food is different from Christ himself. 
enough. It's more than enough for all who will come to him. It's more than enough. He will embrace his people. Dear friends, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he will feed you. He will satisfy you. Why do people drift from God? Why do people leave the church? Because they're not satisfied with God. God is not enough. God's food is not enough. Treated just like the food of the world. There are many, many people who are in need of Christ, isn't there? With this hunger. But only Christ can satisfy that hunger. It says in verse 8 and 9, So they ate and were filled. They ate and were filled. We remember the beatitude that Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is setting before them, Look, you're hungry for the things of this world, and we need these things. We need food to continue. But the food we get from God is far more plentiful, far better, far more satisfying than anything in this world. We have, we have this great need. Verse 3, and if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. Without food, you will faint. How, how long do, can we go without bread and water? And you're walking. How long can you go? Have you ever tried climbing some of those uh, high peaks around the Mourne Mountains? Imagine if you said, you can't eat for a few days. And yet, dear friends, there are people who will say they are believers in Jesus Christ and they will go for days without their spiritual food. They will go for days without reading the Bible. Which, imagine if somebody said you're going up sleeved honored. I haven't eaten for three days. Dear friend, you need food. You'd almost want to buy them a sandwich. But is there that same urgency when we come to spiritual food? Do we value it in exactly the same way? He satisfies us with plenty. He has plenty to offer. And when we come to the Lord's table here this morning, you will only be fed. You will only be blessed if you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, it will not be blessed. If you do not believe in him and in him alone. If you do not wish to be with him for all eternity. Sadly, friends, rather, I was talking about how this is like a taste of home. This, the, this overflowing of food, this great abundance that heaven is. But so much of Christianity today in the West is about this world. About living your best life now, about having more of the stuff of this world. And we live for the world. And dear friends, if you live for the world, you have already had your reward. It will not be in the world to come. God is the one who truly satisfies. Because even that you know you chase the things in this world, you're going to be a dissatisfied person. 
The world doesn't satisfy us. Christ satisfies that weary soul as he travels on his pilgrimage, as he travels away from the city of destruction, and as he travels toward that city of God, the celestial city. I know how many have read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I read that as a young believer. I didn't quite get all the imagery. But then when it clicked with me, Bunyan, wow, look at this picture. You've left behind Babylon. You've left behind Egypt. You're traveling through the wilderness. It's difficult. It's hard. You need manna from heaven. And there's better fruit in Canaan. Much better fruit. And I want us to think about this idea of as well of home. Where's our true home? Heaven is our true home. Where are the best meals, even in our physical life? You know, when you go back to your, your mom's house, the best meals in the world are home, where there is warmth, where there is laughter, where there is joy. Heaven, dear friends, is your home. And if heaven is your home, come to the table this morning. So we've looked at hunger, we've looked at home, now we're going to look at hope. Hope, number three. Not everyone who listened to Jesus of these multitudes truly trusted in him. They, they listened out of curiosity for a time. But many of them, when they heard the hard sayings of Jesus, many of them went away. Not everyone had their hope in Christ. And isn't this an amazing thing? Though the multitudes were fascinated by him at the beginning, people of that day were dissatisfied. Religious people were dissatisfied with the greatest preacher to ever walk the face of the earth. The man who was the truth, the way, and the life. He did not satisfy them because they did not seek him. They weren't satisfied in him, so what were they looking for? The miracles. Verse 11, then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Verse 12, but he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Surely I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Their hope was not in God. Their hope was not in the Lord. They were testing God. People think the way to blessings today, and they almost chase miracles and signs and wonders. But by that time, and as Jesus went throughout his ministry, he'd already provided all the necessary miracles and wonders and signs. They were without excuse to, to see that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Did most embrace Christ here? Was Christ their expectation? Did they long to hear his messages? And what happened by the end of Christ's life? The Lord Jesus Christ, as he was upon the earth, and they heard him preach. A religious people, what did they seek to do? They killed him. They killed him. There was a degree of self-righteousness that came up within him and they killed him. They were losing sight of their need to be born again. See, they thought they were good. If you go to the early Jews in the first century, they thought, well, we're good, but the Gentiles, they're the ones who really need changing. 
In verse 11 and 12, and the Pharisees came and began to dispute with him. Now, there's, there's way, good ways to question things. We should be thinkers. We should be people who look into the word of God. But we should not, at the same time, be like the devil. They wanted more. They were testing him. And they were trying to almost catch him out. This is what happened between Jesus and the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. And that's what Satan did. Bow down before me and I'll give you all these kingdoms the devil tempted him with. Jesus' response to the devil. But it's not just the devil he's responding to here who tempts the Lord. Sometimes we can test the Lord. Sometimes we say, I will follow God if he does this thing for me. No, friends, he promises you forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He promises you a home in heaven. He promises you eternal life if you've trusted in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make extra demands beyond what he has promised, these wonderful promises in his word. Because the fruit of verses 11 and 12 is of a religious but a lost soul. Very religious. The Pharisees, if anyone was going to heaven, they thought back then it was a Pharisee. They didn't really like the Sadducees. The Sadducees weren't too popular at that time. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, it says, A wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now, again, we should question things, we should ask questions. And there are times when there are good questions to ask. We struggle with things. Ask away. That's good. As long as we're seeking to have a teachable and submissive spirit to the Lord. That is wonderful. But there are also questions that are really kind of, you could say, gotcha questions. Things to catch someone out. Some questions are wise to engage with and attempt to answer. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. And remember, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. The devil wants you to dispute and tempt Christ with things he has not promised, just as the Pharisees did. Our church has terms of membership, and we'll be reading them again later. But number three says this, I promise by divine grace to show a teachable and submissive spirit to the teaching of the Holy Scripture as set forth in the testimony of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland. Now, we're certainly not perfect. But in coming before, and being part of a church really is saying, I will come under the eldership and learn. It doesn't mean you agree with everything. Even this this term of membership does not say you agree with everything even in the testimony. It says that you have a teachable spirit. Do you see what the difference is? You don't have to agree with everything. You have to have a teachable and submissive spirit. And I promise that by the help of the Holy Spirit, I will endeavor to live a life consistent with my profession. Friends, you are making solemn oaths before God as you come before the Lord's table. These are not promises before me. These, well, they're promises before everybody, but they're mainly promises before God. 
Don't forget your oaths. That we will follow God with the best of our ability. By grace, it says. By grace. Our actions, our life would show that our hope, our hope is in Christ. Not like the Pharisees we see here. But that our hope is in Christ. And if your hope is in Christ, please, dear friend, come, come to the table of the Lord. Our final point, number four, is hazard. Hazard. So we've looked at number one, hunger. Two, home. Three, hope. And finally, number four, hazard. There is heavenly food, but there's a warning. There's a warning label, you could say, on this food label. It says this in verse 13, And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departing to the other side. Verse 14, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, they didn't really understand what Jesus was saying. Verse 16 says this, and they reasoned among themselves. It is because we have no bread. They thought he was talking about physical bread. There is heavenly food, but there also exists a danger in this world. Sometimes we get bread, and we don't mind where it comes from. I don't know if you've ever heard some, you know, people saying on, on the, the news media, it turns out that such and such a food is now bad for you. And people are going, oh, they'll change their mind again, won't they, in five minutes. But we don't take too seriously often what people say is bad for us, even with our physical food. But this is far more important. This is spiritual. Jesus, the most loving man, to ever walk the face of the earth. Lovingly warned. Did they understand? Verse 15. Verse 16, sorry. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. Verse 17. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Why don't you understand Jesus is saying to them? Why don't you? And you see, the problem is not intellectual. The problem is not the the information available to them. But a hardness of heart. Verse 19. Verse 17. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you, you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And he brings them back to the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the, the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000, which we just read earlier. Their problem was not, this is too difficult for their minds. It was their hearts. Our hearts, the state of our hearts, can affect how we understand things. Isn't that amazing? There are times we do not understand because of hardness of heart. We do not want to see that there is a hazardous material here. And the material that they mention here is leaven. Now leaven is something that goes into bread and it spreads. And it leavens the whole lump. Changing it from being unleavened to leavened. 
Now, leaven doesn't always mean the same thing in Scripture. It usually means sin, yes, but not always. Here, it represents what? False teaching. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, you might wonder, what's... We, okay, I think we know what the leaven of the, the Pharisees is. This kind of harsh, traditional, unloving, false teaching. They added their extra teachings to Scripture. It was unloving, it was harsh, it was rigorous, it was horrible. And they thought they were better than anyone else. And everybody else thought they were better than everyone else as well. What was the leaven of Herod? The leaven of Herod was this. Well, often the Sadducees followed the ruler. The Sadducees wanted favor. The Sadducees wanted the halls of power. But the Sadducees rejected truth like the resurrection. Beware. That's was a way of summarizing it is this. Beware of false doctrine. Beware of false doctrine. But we have to love everyone. Yes. But the most loving person to ever walk the face of the earth said this. Beware of false doctrine. And he cared enough to warn us. He cared enough to warn his disciples. And he brought them back to the goodness of the food which he alone provides. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Twelve. And then it says, as he explains all this, and he shows the abundance of good food that comes from heaven, comes from God himself. Verse 21, so he said to them, how is it you do not understand? How, how can, really? Yes, there's good food. It's the scriptures. Yes, there's good food here this morning set before you in the bread and the cup. But beware as well. We can't just think, well, it doesn't matter about false doctrine. It does. Because, dear friends, it leavens our understanding of Christ. It takes us away from Christ and it brings us toward either the Pharisee extreme or the opposite which is still evil and wrong the Sadducees Jesus cared enough to warn warning them of the dangers because dear friends I pray this morning that you have been fed with good food that is without leaven of false doctrine. As we come before the table here this morning, as we prepare our hearts, do you see that Christ alone satisfies? He alone. If you do see this, and if you rejoice at this, come to the table. But if you say in your heart, Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough. Do not come to the table. Come by faith to the table of the Lord. So that even if your, your faith is small and weak and struggling here this morning. And you don't know if you can make it from one day to the next. You especially need 
the Lord's table. You especially need to be built up, nourished and fed at the table of the Lord. The, the table is not for super Christians who get everything right. By the way, none of those people exist. The table is for helping us. The table is for nourishing us. The table is for encouraging us. That we would love Christ. We get the same Christ in the word as we do in the sacraments. Do you know that? It's the same Christ. But Christ has set himself before our eyes, our smells, our taste. Tokens of his love. He loves you. That's what he's really, he's sharing everything with you. Isn't that amazing? And if you have faith here this morning, please come to the Lord's table that you may be blessed. Amen.